Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer here with John Adams. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss Matt Corral's fall in the NFL draft to the third round. Get into a former Florida and Ohio State coach reportedly nearing a return to broadcasting at Fox Sports. But first, the hottest topic in college football, I think, right now is the um, the reported contemplation, I guess, by Pittsburgh wide receiver Jordan Addison, star wide receiver, All-America wide receiver at Pittsburgh, is considering transferring. And according to reports, if he does indeed transfer, Southern Cal is atop his potential list of suitors, and that's causing quite the buzz in college football. John, first off, welcome in. How is your new... Kia Forte doing? Because I know I've heard some feedback from listeners that uh, were wanting a review, just early review on on how your new Kia is doing. It's functioning okay, and I pre- appreciate the interest. My 20-year-old Honda Accord sitting off to the side of the driveway in very tall grass. I started it up yesterday, ran just fine, in, in case anybody's interested. Silver okay. colored, yeah. It's got yeah, a, still there. It's on the- roof, yeah. There for the taking. It's broken in. 20 years of breaking in. So Jordan Addison might be there for the taking, it seems like, as as well, the, the star receiver there at Pittsburgh. And and if he does, Southern Cal, as I said, is going to be in in the heat of this. And as we're seeing the transfer portal unfold here and, and where guys are going, the SEC is not losing out. You know, most of the top talent, if they're transferring, they are headed to SEC schools. Now, some SEC guys might transfer, but we see them moving from one SEC school to another, or the guys who are not SEC caliber are transferring to a lesser program. But for the most part, the SEC is getting its its pick of the litter. Southern Cal, though, seems to be an exception. With Lincoln Riley out there in Hollywood, they're making quite the splash in the transfer portal. How much of a threat do you see them being to the SEC long-term, and how much does the portal help them? Well, I agree with you. SEC is uh, doing famously in the transfer portal. However, it can't get everybody. Southern Cal is one of those programs that kind of looms as large as anybody. You, you look at its storied history, but it's been up and down for so many years now. It's not a dynasty program. But you know what the potential is like. We saw it when Pete Carroll went in there and came tantalizingly close to winning three consecutive national championships, which is really hard to do. Uh, So now we're seeing it with Lincoln Riley, a proven coach. He's got the right personality for Hollywood. Um, I think there will be tremendous support and great, great NIL deals for Southern California prospects. So, yes, they are a threat. When I look at it right now, when you look, we just watched Alabama and Georgia play for the national championship, two teams from the SEC. Then we watched Georgia set a record and have 15 players drafted. There's no conference comparable to the SEC, but you have a few other schools that can break into that winner's circle. Uh, Ohio State, certainly. Clemson dropped off a little bit, but it has a proven history under Dabo Sweeney. And then to me, the real wild card is uh, is USC now with, with Lincoln Riley. 
it lured a, the potential Heisman winner away from Oklahoma. What does that tell you? Oklahoma's not Pittsburgh. I mean, Oklahoma has a tradition as rich as anyone in college sports. Uh, Pittsburgh doesn't. So to me, the idea that USC could come in and just pick off a guy, a top receiver, Jordan Addison from Pittsburgh, honestly, that's what the free market is all about. I mean, Alabama very easily could do the same thing. Uh, it pretty much did as much when it takes a stellar running back from Georgia Tech, Jameer Gibbs. We talked about that last week. Takes a wide receiver away from Georgia. So we're already seeing this happening. But it can, and the SEC is going to benefit the most from this. But there will be a few schools, select schools outside the conference that could threaten the SEC and be just as formidable in this era. And USC is one of them. And whether you like it or not, and I don't want to get too deep into that because we're both on record is for the most part, we like this, this deal where players, athletes can move freely. They can profit off their fame. Um, they can profit off these NIL deals. We're, we're in, on record favoring this. Some fans don't, whatever battle lines have drawn, but whether you like it or not, we're in an era right now where, uh, as you said, it's a free market. And it's players being sold to the highest bidder, uh, certainly to an extent anyway. And for the most part, the SEC is not going to be outbid very often. But USC, I think, is an example of um, of a school that can rival uh, SEC for the for these transfers. You look at, at the rankings right now. Now, these are from 24-7 Sports. So it's one uh, website's uh, opinion here. But they have what's what I really like. They have transfer portal rankings. Not only do they just have recruiting class rankings, that was – that was yesterday's news. Today's era is the transfer portal rankings. You look at these rankings, and I'm going to read you the top seven here. Southern Cal right now is number one, and that's even before we see what happens with Jordan Addison. So Southern Cal atop the list. Then you have Ole Miss, LSU, Oklahoma, Alabama, and South Carolina. So USC and then the next five schools are either in the SEC or, in the case of Oklahoma, coming into the SEC. And then who's at number seven but UCLA? So you got two schools at Los Angeles are cracking the, the top seven. So it's like either if you're a transfer, I guess the decision is do you want to play A in the best conference in the land in the SEC or do you want to B live in Los Angeles? And they maybe can actually afford to live in Los Angeles with some of these NIL deals. Yeah, they're among the few that can, though. People are fleeing Southern California. I don't know if that's a how optimal a destination that is, but for a college football player, why not? I lived in Pittsburgh for years. Great place. Really like being there. But if I'm a high school senior and I got a chance to go to USC and play for Lincoln Riley and get more money than probably you're getting at Pittsburgh for an NIL deal, I'm out of there. Who would, what receiver wouldn't want forget where Lincoln Riley is. What receiver wouldn't want to play in his offense? And there are some extenuating circumstances with this, in this particular case, he lost his quarterback, Kenny Pickett. We just saw drafted this past week, really good passer. Uh, I, I know they've added a, a Southern Cal transfer, Kadon Sl Slovis, but, I don't think he's Kenny Pickett. He, he may prove me wrong, but you, you got to have a little bit uh, lesser guy throwing to you, I would think. 
and you've got a new offensive coordinator. So you've already you're dealing with change where you are. So why not go all the way and rejoin a quarterback with whom you have a prior relationship? Caleb Williams could be the best player in the country. Man, that's I would find that very, very tempting. When Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, you know, of course, you got to have a narrative for these things, right? There's got to be, it can't just be as simple as, well, Southern Cal threw a lot of money at him, um, and, and that's that. There's, there's got to be some, some sort of narrative. And one of the narratives that emerged was Lincoln Riley was afraid of Oklahoma joining the SEC, and he didn't think he could compete in the SEC, and so he got out while the getting was good. Okay, that's a narrative I think that um, you can make a case for. He leaves just months after Oklahoma says it's going to be joining the SEC in a couple years. And yes, his path to the playoff at Oklahoma in the SEC would have been undeniably harder than what he had at Oklahoma in the Big 12. However, I think the counter argument to that is maybe he wasn't necessarily afraid of the SEC, but he just thought, if I could be out at USC and still get a bunch of really good players, elevate recruiting, raid the transfer portal, I can actually threaten the SEC powers more at Southern Cal than I can with inside the own in, inside the walls. You know, it's like you're you're attacking from the outside rather than than within. I think there's something to be said for that. If he can turn USC into the best non-SEC program in the land, much like Clemson was throughout the past decade, the best non-SEC program in the land, I think you can step up and and rival on any given year the SEC. I definitely could see that line of thinking. However, I'll, I'll throw another possibility at you. First of all, I really don't think Oklahoma should be afraid of the SEC. I think there are a lot of teams in the SEC that should be afraid of Oklahoma joining the SEC because it will knock them down a peg. I mean, Oklahoma football is about as proven as it gets. Decades and decades. I can't remember a decade in which it didn't contend for a national championship. Sure, it's had lapses. The lapses haven't been that long, and a lot of good coaches have gone through there. So I just don't see that program dropping off. Lincoln Riley might be more concerned about getting heat from within. He hasn't won a national championship at Oklahoma. He's been to the playoffs, but Oklahoma fans don't think in terms of, hey, we let's celebrate. We played for a national title. We made the playoff. No. They're accustomed to winning national championships, and it's been a long time. He might think, you know, I'm going to be, if I keep going, even if I go to the playoffs, but I don't quite pull it all off, I think Lincoln Riley would feel heat in Oklahoma. So that might have had just as much to do with it. When I think about past programs that would seem to have a lot to offer, um, a lot to sell, maybe be positioned to offer some really sweet NIL deals, uh, to athletes. Obviously, USC comes to mind. But I also think about Miami. Could you see a scenario in which Miami rises up against the SEC in a way that we're saying maybe USC can do, particularly through the use of NIL deals to attract players? I think we've already seen Miami be interested um, and in that and, and how that can be used to their advantage. But do you think that they could rival an SEC, uh, some of the SEC's best, or are they not, you know, where you feel like USC is in terms of, of being a rival? 
Miami had a great run back in the 80s and early 90s, all started by Howard Snellenberger with their first national title. And two other coaches won national champion. Well, one through three other coaches, I guess, won national championships there. Dennis Erickson, uh, Larry Coker, and uh, seems like there was oh Jimmy Johnson. So, yeah, you've got some tradition there, but it's not like Southern Cal tradition. I mean, Southern Cal goes way back. It, but does it, tradition matter anymore, or is it just who's got the best resources and can throw the most money around? I think they kind of go together in a way. I think when you have that kind of tradition, it's important to you. It's important to the alumni base. It's important to the affluent boosters. And there may be some of that in Miami. I mean, there the possibility exists for almost any school to do that. But I still would like USC's chances more than I would Miami's. Um, but I think that's a, that's a good point. It's in a, there's so many good potential, good programs in Florida right now that aren't exactly at the top of their game, Florida state, Florida, the opportunity is there for Miami right now with Mario Cristobal coming aboard. And I think it needs to strike fast because it's been down a while. It's been mediocre a while. And think about to remember about Miami. When it had its its real surge in the in the eighties and, and early nineties, there were a lot of people that climbed on a, climbed on board for the ride, but really had no connection to Miami. It was a popular school nationally, very colorful, exciting program, but it wasn't the the belief in that program wasn't deep seated. And and I just don't know how much of that is exists today. I really don't. Who do you think gets to the college football playoff first? Brian Kelly at LSU or Lincoln Riley at USC? Oh, that's a good one. Because although Kelly got off to an unusual start at LSU, and we've mocked him for his faux Southern accent on this podcast previously, I do think he's found his footing a little bit. Um, It's hard to grade guys in the offseason until you really start to see the product out on the field. But I think he's really improved what he inherited in so much as he can just in a few months at, at LSU. Uh, but we obviously see a bright future for Southern Cal at Lincoln Riley, with, with Lincoln Riley as well. I tell you, I'll answer it this way. I think Lincoln Riley could make the playoff sooner than Brian Kelly could. He did it at Oklahoma. But once you get to the playoff, it is really hard for me to bet against the SEC team. We saw that with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. He could get his team to the playoff, but they were always the underdog. And in a few of those games were overwhelmed. We've seen it with Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, where they made the playoffs, but they're still a notch below the best team in the SEC. SEC's won three straight national championships. It's going after that seven Seven season streak of national championships just wasn't that long ago. I just think for a championship, you are hardened by that SEC schedule. And then when you go into the playoff after negotiating such a such a gauntlet, I think you're better prepared to win it all. And we certainly saw that most recently when Alabama and Georgia played. So I would say long answer. To a simple question, I, I would bet on Brian Kelly 
winning the national title before I would uh, Lincoln Riley. Okay, so USC gets to the playoffs first, but LSU wins a national championship first. Mm-hmm. Got it. What we're talking about here with, with the freedom of player movement and, and the use of, of NIL dollars to be able to snap up players, something I've thought about, John, is this could lead to a more um, a more regionalization of the interest of college football, even more so than it is already. I think college football, you know, in certain parts of the country, including the South, it's the hottest thing going. You know, in the South is, is one of the few parts, I think, in the U.S. where in a lot of, in a lot of places – college football tops the NFL. There are other parts of the country where college football might rank about fourth, fifth, or sixth on the pecking order in that part of the country in terms of a sport that that matters. I think with the freedom of player movement, you could see this become an even more regionalized sport. I think it's going to, college football, I think, is always going to matter in the South. I think it's always going to matter um, to folks in Columbus, Ohio. Um, And perhaps... If Southern Cal can rise back to prominence, I don't know that USC ever will rival some of the pro sports out there, but I think it could start to matter more again out in Southern California. But I don't know that this does anything for the popularity of college football in the places like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Do you think that's that's fair? And should I even be wondering about that? Because maybe college football is never going to matter in some of those places. Well, I think it's interesting when we're talking about Pittsburgh and pegging it to Jordan Addison, the All-American receiver that's apparently considering going to USC, leaving Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh's a pro town. I mean, it's the Steelers and the Penguins in hockey. Uh, USC is just an everything town. Sports don't matter as much out there. I mean, the Dodgers are probably the top dog. Just had a Super Bowl champion. But the city wouldn't go crazy over winning a Super Bowl there. I mean, it's Los Angeles. You, it, there's just so much going on in Los Angeles. You're right. I think it matters more, so much more in the Southeast. And the Southeast now is expanding because we talk about Texas and Oklahoma. College football matters so much there, too. And I think it will be magnified when those teams join the SEC. Because now they're really competing with the big boys, and Oklahoma in particular is a big boy. I think their their interests will be heightened, and I think they will have more motivation than ever to be good. I mean, uh, Bob Stoops, former Oklahoma uh, football coach, had a long run there, won a national title. Was a, he was accepting some award there in Oklahoma, and he he addressed the audience and and made a real strong point that Oklahoma football didn't begin with Lincoln Riley mm-hmm. because there was a whole lot of anguish going on. Oh my, the idea that somebody could hire away Oklahoma's football coach, that that shouldn't happen. And yet we've seen two of the most storied programs in college football lose, lose their coach, Notre Dame with Brian Kelly in Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley to other college programs. I mean, that's not so, supposed to happen. And that's a blow to the collective ego. So I, I, I just think um, Stoops made a really good point. I mean, when, I, they've just had a history of really good coaches there, and they're going to have another, probably have another good one, and they're probably going to be still be really good. It just won't be Lincoln Riley. And I thought it was significant that he pointed that out. 
and I'm sure Oklahoma fans will will uh, embrace that. Uh, you know, it's so, interesting, John. Despite all the fear mongering you hear nowadays about how college football is entering its final days and all these changes are going to ruin the sport, you look at Oklahoma. They lost their star coach. They lost their two quarterbacks and Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, and among several other players who transferred. And I don't know that spring game attendance really means a whole lot, but I thought it was interesting. Despite all these losses, Oklahoma was credited with the largest spring game crowd uh, of any program in the nation. So apparently the the players transferring out of Oklahoma and the freedom of player, player movement is not ruining college football in Oklahoma and college football is not going to be ruined uh, for, for Sooners fans. It, it, I just, I don't see that happening and the places where college football matters, it's, it's going to continue to matter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think uh, when you've got that much tradition and you've had that many different coaches be successful at a program, there's no reason to think you won't be successful in the future when it means and matters so much and they will go after these this NIL business full force. Changing gears, John, the NFL draft last weekend. Georgia, uh, of course, led the way, setting a record with 15 draft picks. I think just proving how, uh, how loaded that Georgia team was last year. But I know a player that we both enjoyed watching uh, this past season, Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. Um, it was interesting to see him fall to the third round of the draft. And we'll get to some of the speculation as to maybe why that was in a, in a minute, but I guess off the bat, what was your reaction to seeing one of the best quarterbacks on the board? We thought not go until the third round of the Carolina Panthers. Blake, I, I thought he's one of my all time favorite sec quarterbacks. I thought he was the best quarterback in the country and nobody was a close second. Everything I saw about him and witnessed in all his games at Ole Miss, he had the he was as they say the total package. He had the arm strength, uh, accuracy. He was extremely mobile. He played the game with just a, a a relentless aggressiveness. He was never backed away from taking on a tackle, probably too much so to his own detriment. But the way he could rally a team with his running ability. He carried the ball over 30 times against Tennessee. He's not a huge guy. He's not Tim Tebow, but he played with the same passion and conviction of a Tim Tebow. I loved his deep ball. I just thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. If I'd have been a, if I'd have needed a quarterback, he he would have been my first round pick if I were in the NFL. And, And I think he'll prove people. I think he'll be one of those guys that you look back and say, wow, how could they miss on this guy? I really do. Yeah, it, I, I thought he would be like a late first-round pick. And and as to why, I mean, hard to say, but the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport weighed in on, on this, and he said uh, Corral, quote, has dealt with a multiple multitude of issues, including alcohol, and he's also admitted publicly to battling depression. That was, again, from the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. And we have heard Corral publicly open up about depression. He told Yahoo Sports for a story uh, a couple months ago that back in 2019, he was battling depression. 
um, or dealing with depression and, and he, his parents encouraged him to, uh, to get into therapy. Sounded like it, it was kind of a turning point moment for him a few years ago. Of course, that was around the same time, uh, Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby came into the, the program. Um, and to hear Kiffin tell it, that's one man's opinion, but he raved about the guy. Um, you know, this is what Kiffin said around the time of the sugar bowl. He was talking about Corral's leadership and just how he's the, the ultimate leader, um, which is what you want out of a quarterback. Kiffin said, quote, you can be a 50-year-old coach and you should listen to this guy. Making the point that, like, you know, it's not just freshmen and sophomores that should listen to him, that anybody could learn from Matt Corral's leadership. And I thought it said a lot that he he risked injury and did get injured in the Sugar Bowl game in an era when a lot of NFL-bound players are opting out. You heard all year his teammates talked about just how how Matt Corral was, was the, the rallying point, the focal point for, for their team. And so it's interesting to hear this criticism or, or I guess just explanation uh, from Ian Rappaport. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's not founded. Rappaport obviously has his sources, has talked to people, and, and he's just reporting on, on what he's found. But I think it's interesting that we would hear that that's the reasoning when, um, you know, A, I don't think dealing with depression should be, uh, a reason that you you fall on the draft board necessarily, especially if you've addressed that situation as Corral said he did through therapy. And um, if anything else, I think this this probably just makes me root for the guy even more. I'm the same way on that, Blake. I think I think uh, a general populace is much more open mindedness now about mental health. We hear it all the time. Plenty of commercials on TV, TV about it, and there's a greater understanding. However. The NFL line of thinking, I think the thought process, it's hard to change that. And, and no matter what it is, if it's a small hand size in the case of Kenny Pickett, another quarterback, I mean, these guys are, they are put under a microscope in any little flaw. Here's the way I would look at Matt Corral and, and a perhaps issue with depression and maybe alcohol. Well, a lot of people who are depressed would treat their depression with alcohol. That raises up their level. Uh, however, he didn't. He realized he had a problem. That's the most important thing in dealing with depression. He realizes you have a problem, goes into therapy. I don't know if he took antidepressants or not, but the point is he, that's the first step in dealing with stuff like this is recognizing that you have a problem and you need to make a change. It's hard to make those kind of changes. We've read many stories about successful people who have encountered the same issues, some with manic depression, which is even more serious. So that tells me, just like the way he plays on the field, he tries to he tries very hard to find a way to win, whether it's running, throwing, uh, revving up his teammates, he did the same thing with a health issue. And I can understand if you're going to invest a lot of money in somebody, that might be a concern. But I would look at the flip side of it is here's a guy who's willing to make changes and to adapt, which is what you have to do in going from college to NFL football and all these other factors in his favor. And another thing, yes, he said he had depression. But was that apparent on the field? Look at the bottom line and look at the guy, the way the guy played. Yeah, he had a problem, 
but he still succeeded at a very high level. Remember, when, when you judge his stats, his, his receiving core was never intact last season at Ole Miss due to injuries. Yeah, and Corral dealt with injuries of his own even before yes. that Sugar Bowl injury. He he dealt with some injuries last year. And I just go back to, I don't I don't get too worked up about players opting out of, of bowl games that are headed to the NFL. I get it. It's a business decision. There's, there's real dollars on the line um, when you play in those bowl games. But I just thought his decision to play in that bowl and why he said he did it, um, he said he thought it would be selfish not to play in it. And he said the reason Ole Miss is in the Sugar Bowl you know, was beyond just him. It, it was a collective team effort to get in the Sugar Bowl, and so he owed it to his team to play in that game. Of course, he was injured in the first half of, of that game while getting sacked. Um, I don't know. I just, you know, I think that says a lot about the guy, and especially at the quarterback position. Um, you need someone, ideally, that the rest of the team can rally around. You can find your your leaders on a team at any position, but I think it's especially valuable when you have one at quarterback. Um and how that translates to the NFL, who knows? But I can say, I covered several Ole Miss games last year, and um, you know, spent some time around that program. Listen to the way guys talked about him. I think, I think the respect Ole Miss players had for Matt Corral all last season, and uh, and how much they valued his leadership, I think that was genuine, um, and I think that helped that team. When I think about Matt Corral, I already mentioned two t- quarterbacks come to mind: one, Tim Tebow, who played played with the same reckless abandon in times of subjugating his own personal health for the benefit of the team, though a lot bigger guy than Matt Corral. And I remember a Super Bowl play with the Denver Broncos, one of the Super Bowls they won with John Elway, at quarterback, where he was trying to make a first down and just launched himself in the air in the face of two defenders. His body was turned sideways, took an elacious hit, just all in, in – all in the interest of of trying to win, doing everything you can to win. And that's the kind of way um, Matt Corral played his whole time at Ole Miss. Wasn't playing for championships. He wasn't at Alabama trying to beat Georgia for the national title. He was playing. He was just playing for his team and playing to win. So, yeah, I really hope he does well in the NFL. Someone who didn't do well in the NFL, Urban Meyer, John. We're going to close with with old Urban. He just doesn't stay off the radar for long. Recent report that he is uh, nearing a deal with Fox Sports to rejoin their college football television coverage. What do you think about this? You glad to see Urban maybe dipping his toe back in the college football waters after a pretty lousy tenure on all fronts in in the NFL with the Jacksonville Jaguars that uh, unraveled at pretty much warp speed, but uh, here he comes, Urban Meyer, maybe headed back, at least on the media side of things, into college football. Are you excited about this? I'd be more excited if he were coaching somebody because, to me, for all his detractors and for all all of his checkered pass and, and whatever failures, and, and you can't put a one-loss record coaching Jacksonville you just can't put that on the table. That that doesn't. That's not a true indicator of what he can do. He won everywhere he went in college, and I think if he went to any college in the country, he would turn it into a into a uh, a really good program. And so, I just I would like to see him back in college football. I also think he's a great analyst. Think about Urban Meyer. He doesn't care about what people think. 
He doesn't care if the coaches like him when he's coaching against them or when he's in the uh, when he's up there as a commentator, he doesn't care what they think. He'll be honest with his opinions. Um, maybe not so honest in other areas of his life, but he'll be honest with his opinion on television. So, yeah, I'm glad to see him back. Do you think his brand of coaching in this era of college sports where players have more uh, power, I think, and, and authority than they used to have, do you think he would still be a hit in this era? Because that, I think... You know, among the reasons why things did not go well for Urban and Jacksonville, and there were many reasons, some of which, in fairness to Urban Meyer, were probably beyond his control. It's not like he stepped into a ready-made uh, organization there in Jacksonville. But I think the power dynamics is such a change between what he was used to in college football and the NFL. Uh, I don't know that that ever really would have worked for him. Coaches have had all the power in college sports when he, when he was coaching. Um, and and the, the players, the stars have more of the power in the NFL. But we could see that dynamic maybe changing in college sports a little bit now with, with NIL and players being able to profit off their fame. Do you still think he would be a hit as a coach in, in this game? Yes, I do. I think one of the one of the main things for players in a player-coach relationship, a question they ask themselves can this guy make me better? Can he make me a better player? And I think Urban Meyer can make players better, whatever position. And he, you'll have you, I think he would have you on a successful program. Overall, the program would be successful. So, yes, it's a different dynamic, but particularly after what he went through at Jacksonville, I think he would he could make that adjustment at the college level. Remember, college players. Yeah, they want the NIL money. Yeah, if they don't like things, they'll transfer somewhere else. But think how many of them have as their main goal, I want to get to the NFL. And look how many people Urban Meyer got to the NFL. I don't I don't think that would change. And the other thing, too, when I think about why Urban Meyer was such a successful college coach, really everywhere he was, but particularly at the, at the big dog stops there at Florida and Ohio State, he brought in so much talent, was a very good recruiter. And I think that ability to assemble talent, it's always been, I think, maybe the most important thing in, in college football. People talk about player development. It is, it is key. But I think, you know, first and foremost, you got to get talent in the door. Urban Meyer was always able to do that. And now um, I think the coaches who are best at getting talent in the door, however you do it, whether that's signing high school recruits, whether that's bringing in, in transfers, Whatever, I think those are the coaches that are going to succeed the most, and that's where Urban Meyer's always been good. He's never had a problem getting talent in the in the door. I mean, he, he he's been good at developing talent, but it wasn't always like he was he was uh, you know taking these uh, lousy prospects and, and turning them into gems. I mean, they, he was bringing in a lot of star power there at Florida and Ohio State, and I think that would continue to be the same. Um, my, my stomach is probably not as firm for urban Meyer as, as yours is, but, uh, but I can't say that I don't think he would be successful in this area. I, I do think he, he still would be. Well, Blake, how, how successful can you be with the Jacksonville Jaguars? How much talent can you bring into the Jacksonville Jaguars in one year? It's a completely different animal. And perhaps one of his faults is a lack of self-awareness. He hates losing as much as any coach I've ever seen. So really, 
Why did he think he would be successful with the Jacksonville Jaguars? He absolutely hates. I mean, he wouldn't be happy going nine and seven or 10 and six. He, in, in college numbers, he wants to be 14 and 0, 15 and 0. He just, he just can't abide losing. And everybody loses some in the NFL, particularly with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's on him, really. And I don't think it was the money so much. It was his ego. I proved I've won multiple championships at college level. I need to go show these NFL guys I'm a better coach than they are. But it didn't fit his personality. That, to me, was his big mistake. He shouldn't have gone to the NFL. I could see Urban Meyer really thriving in this era at one of those Southern California schools. I know, you know we spent time talking about Lincoln Riley at USC, and I don't think they're going to have a need for Urban Meyer anytime soon. And, and you know, UCLA last year won eight games, so maybe Chip Kelly is – maybe he's finding his, his footing there at, at UCLA. I don't know. But I just – you know, he's he's been, been at Florida. He did the Ohio State thing. I don't know if I see – I don't know if I see Urban Meyer back in the SEC necessarily, but a Pac-12 school, particularly one in California where you have a lot to sell there, um, he could clean up on these on these transfers. He could clean up on on the high school recruiting ranks, guys knowing they're going to come in and get these these big NIL deals. Um, I don't know. Maybe we won't see him as an analyst for long. Maybe he will be back on his side. But, of course, Urban's always got to focus on his health and he's got to focus on that family. So, you know, he's only going to get back into it if he can do it. <laughs> wow. Cause we've heard so many times urban profess a desire to focus on that health and family. It usually doesn't last that long, but no, it's, up. it's family is fleeting with urban, but, but I go back to remember when he took the Florida job, Notre Dame at one point was his dream job. And he could have gotten the Notre Dame job, but he thought he had a better chance of winning at Florida. He was right. He made a cold, calculated business decision. He didn't do that when he took the Jaguars job. He would never go to a college where he didn't think he could win a national championship. But if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't pan out for Texas, I could see him back in the SEC. That's a good point. That's that's one I, I hadn't been thinking about. I, I like that one. Uh, John, in closing here, uh, the price on that Honda sitting in the tall grass last week, you had set it at $3,000. Has that come down in the last week? Or are you still looking for an offer of three grand to get that uh, Honda out of your tall grass in your yard? I've had a couple of people ask me if I were going to sell my car. Now, they didn't say they wanted to buy it. They just wanted to know if it was going to get off the lawn. They yeah, it, it was just going to sit there. And when I went out there a couple of days ago and turned that key and it started right away, I mentally, I don't have a sticker on it. I went up to 3200 All right. The fact that it still fires up is worth an extra 200 bucks. Still making deals, still talking football here on SEC Football Unfiltered. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week.